Jesus, at this moment, we surrender our authority to you, to your word and what it has to say, and more importantly, what it calls us to do. Because words are one thing, but words that create action are another thing. They bring life, truth, love, commandment, correction, instruction, reproof. Lord, we ask that as we come now to receive your word, having worshipped in song and prayer, received the elements of the Lord's table, celebrated in, um, in believers' baptism, that all other voices might be silenced, that we might hear your voice. That your spirit might uh, pique our interest, open our eyes, open our hearts and our hands to see, to feel, to do, and to be the church that you called us to be. We pray this through the Holy Spirit, Jesus, in your name, to the Father in heaven. Amen. I invite you to join me in John chapter 15. Uh, we are in the middle of Jesus' great discourse that runs from John 14 through to John 17 as Jesus prepares his disciples for being the church. Um, and I think it's very important that we remember this. As we get bogged down into all of the different things that are that Jesus says, and all of the metaphors and similes, and um, you know all of the different illustrations he uses, and the questions they ask, we have to remember that Jesus is preparing his disciples to become the apostles, to lead the church that Jesus is is inst- uh, instituting um, in his body. And in chapter 14, Jesus has been uh, emphasizing this idea that I'm going away. Uh, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to be physically with you. And so you as the church, you, you as the leaders, you have to step up. You have to trust. You have to believe that I'm, I'm com- my, I have a, a, a spirit comforter come alongside her who is going to be with you. He's going to, he's going to empower you. He's going to teach you. He's going to guide you. In my way, he's going to keep you true. And then Jesus says at the end of chapter 14, he says, let us go from here. Rise, let us go from here. In verse 31. And then after saying that, he begins another part of the discourse. Now, we know uh, that Jesus is on his way from the the upper room, from the guest room, in Jerusalem, somewhere uh, probably on the western hill of Jerusalem, down into the valley. He's going to cross the Kidron Valley and then ascend to the Mount of Olives and go to Gethsemane, um, the garden. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane, we we sometimes read about this. Uh, One of the things that you would do, uh, uh, olive gardens, and Gethsemane means olive press, that's what the word means. Um, The olive uh, groves with the olive trees and everything, during the spring which is when this would have been happening, uh, the olives are not ready to be uh, harvested. They're only just beginning. Olives are a a summer harvest. And so uh, what you would do is visitors to the city were allowed to sleep in the olive groves. 
And so probably when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going to the place where he's planning to spend the night, um, so he doesn't go all the way back to Bethany, um, and uh, spend the night there and then go back into Jerusalem. Now, um, he may have done this before, but uh, this obviously, though, this is setting up for Jesus's arrest. He's going to be arrested um, and brought to trial. But as he's walking, he starts this discourse, this, this part of the discourse. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser or the vintner, the, the one who uh, cares for this, the husbandman. Um, and every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, uh, he prunes, the, the Greek word is literally he cleans or he cuts clean, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are pruned or you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Now I want you to watch Jesus' use of the word abide. He will use it several times in this passage. He says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. All right? I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Lord has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now watch for his use of the word love now, and his use of the next phrase, commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, and greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their lives for his friends, for your friends. He lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends, for all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." And the next passage, he's going to talk about hate, but this passage, he's dealing with love. But I want you to read this passage in the context that Jesus puts it in. He has just told his disciples that he is leaving. He's going to go away. Um, He's going to go to my father's house, and he says, and in my father's house, there are many rooms or dwelling places, mansions, whatever word you want to use. He says, and and I'm going, but I'm going to come back. But while I'm gone, you've got a job to do. And they don't want that. They don't like that idea. They want Jesus physically there. They want him present. They, They want him doing this. 
And as Jesus is walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane, one of the things that happened in this world um, was that usually what you would do is if you planted an olive uh, grove, a bunch of olives, usually you would have a pathway and on the other side of that pathway would be your vineyards. Um, They're usually together. Usually if there's an olive press uh, in archaeological digs, if we find an olive press, normally within a few feet of that olive press we'll find a grape press, a wine press. They like to keep those two things together. Now they have to be separate. You You can't use one for both. You've got to have two different things or two different kinds of pressing to produce olive oil and wine. You you can't do them together. Um, they make a great salad dressing together, but separate. All right, you got to keep them separate when you're pressing them. Different techniques, different approaches. Um, and and so he's probably walking along and he, and they're seeing these vines. Now because it's spring. Um, what would have happened is that the the pruning would have started to occur. You started to do your pruning in the spring. And the the vine dresser, the vintner, um, believe it or not, they have to keep track of everything that's going on with that vine. Um, so, uh, and the vine is not one plant. It's, it's actually a lot of plants that all um, are uh, descended. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about that. Um, but... What happens is the vintner, as they go through and they harvest the grapes in, in, the, in the summer, in the fall, or the late summer and early fall, as they harvest those grapes, um, they look for where the buds, um, what buds produce the shoots that produce the grapes. Um, and they mark them somehow. Uh, they they want to know they want to know what what produces the grapes because here's the thing: if a bud does not produce grapes. One year, it, it will turn to wood and it'll be useless. It won't produce any more grapes. So you want to make sure you keep track of the ones that are producing grapes because all the other ones need to go. They have to be cut out. And they, what, what you do then is in the spring, right as things are starting to bud, you go along, you find all those dead branches and you cut them off and you throw them on the ground. You don't worry about gathering them. You just leave them on the ground because eventually you'll come back through. Once the grapes have started to grow, you'll come back through. You'll bundle up all those those branches and you take them and you burn them. You stick them in a fire. You consume them and they're burnt. They're worthless. They're useless. They're they're just a waste of energy. But some of the branches that are going to bud, all right, some of the branches that are going to bud, you will clip them off as well. And the reason is that olive uh, or uh, 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 grape vines have a limited lifetime, all right? They they don't last forever, and so you're constantly having to plant new uh, parts of the vine. They're they're take cuttings from a living, vibrant vine. The vine dresser, the vintner, will take some of the cuttings and he will cut them out, even though they're healthy and strong. And he will plant them where another grape has, another vine has died. Another branch of the vine has died. He'll remove that. He'll plant that cutting. And by the way, it takes about three years for that cutting to start bearing fruit. How long did Jesus work with his disciples? Three years. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like Jesus knew what he was doing. Um, Now, what Jesus is describing is he's describing two ways that the, that the Father 
cuts people out of the vine. The first is the one that doesn't produce fruit, the one that's dead, the one that there's there's no uh, there's nothing happening. And he says that one. There's no point in, in investing resources in something that is dead. Cut it out, burn it up. And, and perhaps an allusion to Judas, we don't know. But I will tell you that Jesus was very, very aware of the scriptures. And in Psalm 80 and verse 8, um, the, the psalmist says, I brought a vine out of Egypt and I planted it in the soil and I saw it grow. Describing Israel being brought out of Egypt and being settled. That, that the vine, that, that, that Israel um, was God, Jesus' or God's vine. And this is actually, it occurs a number of times in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, and that it needs to be pruned and it needs to be cleaned and it needs to be cared for. But I think as Jesus is walking along, um, he's walking by all of these pruned branches. Some of them have been just cut out and removed. All right? The ones that don't bear fruit, they've been cut out, they've been thrown on the ground, they're going to be discarded, they're going to be burned, they're gone. But then there's some other branches that were cut out and they were planted in the soil with, with love and care. And in a couple years they would grow up and they would entangle with the other branches of the vine and they would produce the fruit. Now this is important that you understand this about the way that vines work. Um, vitology, how this works. All right. Um, now, I'm not a wine drinker. Um, some of you are. Go for it. Um, I, I ne- neither condemn nor commend. Um, uh, but um, people know that that wine, you you don't just produce, you don't just grab any old grape and crush it down and stick it in any old barrel and call it whatever it is that your wine is called. I don't know the names of wine. I, they, they're like, people are like, well, there's reds and there's whites. I'm like, sure. Okay, great. All I see is costs way too much money. Um, so, so, you know, all this stuff, and it, but, but there's a way to know what, what particular uh, vineyard produces what particular kind of wine based on particular grapes? Well, how do you make sure that that happens all the time? Well, you always work from one rootstock. There's one vine. But obviously that, wine, that vine doesn't live forever. So that initial vine grows up and, and you, take, you take cuttings off of it and you plant those cuttings and they grow up and they make part of the vine. And then eventually that original, that original vine starts to die out and then you take a cutting and you graft that into the old, into the old uh, rootstock so that that one continues to flourish and continues to survive. And that's how you maintain uh, the, the coherence, the uh, continuity of this particular kind of wine and, and this particular kind of grape. And this is as far as my knowledge of grapes goes. All right. Um, I don't really know much beyond this. And people are like, oh, nutty mouthfeel and all that other stuff. I, I don't know. I don't care. Um, but uh, this, this, this whole process, this is how you make sure that they're growing. And what's interesting, what happened was in North America in the 1850s, 1860s, um, an aphid, a little, little bug from North America somehow got on a boat and sailed across to Europe. And the North American uh, grapes were immune to this aphid. They, they had grown up with it. It didn't bother them at all. 
But the European grapevines were not immune to it. And the aphid actually withered their uh, roots. It destroyed their roots. And it attacked a region of France, you may have heard of, the Champagne region. You can guess what kind of wine they make in that region. Um, Pinot, right? Uh, they, anyway, uh, they make Champagne there, right? That's where you. They, that's why it's named that. It's the Champagne region of France, right? So um, it attacked all the roots in the Champagne region of France and was wiping it all out. And the vintners were so terrified. What are we going to do? We're going to lose Champagne. I mean, what would you drink on New Year's Day? New Year's Eve, like what's gonna, what are we having toast in the weddings? We're gonna lose all the champagne. What are we going to do? And and somebody came up with the brilliant idea of bringing rootstock, bringing cuttings from the vineyards in North America that were immune to it, bringing them to Europe and grafting them in so that the the um, these champagne grapes, I guess that's what they're called, um, champagne grapes would keep growing. And the French. They said, we will not take this American root stock. We are, not, we are not bowing down to the Americans. We will let our champagne die before we will let you save us. <laughs> All right? Um, and so, it's a terrible French accent. Um, but, the, the, uh, but what happened was some economically minded champagne grape grower people said, well... <laughs> Come on in, America. Bring it in. And the American rootstock brought in. And believe it or not, all European champagnes today are able to be made because we, the Americans, saved them. Right? Like, like so much of the 20th century, we came to Europe's rescue. Anyway, um, but that's, that's what happened there. Okay? Because one, because the problem was that it's one vine. And that vine has all the same genetic markup and all the same things and all that stuff. Did you know, by the way, that all corn grown in the United States has the same genome? If we ever get a corn blight, it's going to completely wipe out Doritos. Anyway, um, th- this, so, so this process, the reason, that, so the reason that blight was so effective was because all the vines were drawn from the same stock. That one vine, all of those branch vines, all of those secondary vines, they all came from one stock. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And Jesus says, I'm going to, you're going to be cut off from me. You're ready. He says, you're clean already. You're going to be cut off, and you're going to be planted You're not being separated from me. You're to abide in me. It doesn't mean that you're not just like a parasite living on me. And some Christians kind of treat their spiritual walk as if they're just a parasite living on Jesus. They're, they just all they they never want to be active in anything. They just want Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They want they want to just absorb, 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 absorb. They, they never want uh, to, to grow beyond the limits of being that, that sapling, that little, that little branch. But eventually, that little branch has to grow. It has to become a part of the vine. And even though it's got its own root system, it is so deeply entwined with all of the other vines that they begin to support each other. 
and care for each other. They all draw all of their nutrients and all of their power from Jesus, the true vine, that main rootstock. They all come from that rootstock. They all get life from that rootstock. They are all sustained by that rootstock. They have the same structure, the same soil, the same thing. But as they grow, they face their own challenges. They have their own trellis uh, that they're on. They have, they have their own leaf structure. They're going to deal with their own insects and all those things. But they're still, they're so interwoven and so connected with that original vine that they can abide in him that they're um even though they are disconnected they are still so intertwined with him and with others that they can grow and they can bear fruit you know that grapevines have to grow together you can't just isolate a grapevine. You just have one grape. Like, I just want to grow one perfect grape. And you're just pruning everything off, so you just have this one. You know, like people do with pumpkins. You know, they're like, they're going to have this one, like a grape contest. Sometimes, somehow that would not be quite as cool. You know, like you have the pumpkin contest and people are growing like these 2,000 pound pumpkins and everybody's like, look at the size of that pumpkin. And that's an amazing pumpkin. You imagine the same thing with grapes? They're like, look at my grape. Isn't this amazing? Then, oh, amazing grape. All right, grapes have to grow together. One grape's not all that sufficient. You can't make a bottle of grape juice from one grape. You certainly can't make wine from one grape, no matter how big it is, um, no matter how well cared for it is. They have to be connected. They have to abide. See, Jesus sees two kinds of separation from himself as the vine. One is the dead. They get separated and they get burned up. Those that are not going to bear fruit They're gone. But the ones that are going to bear fruit, they still have to be cut up. They still have to grow. They still have to mature. They have to, now they're never going to exceed the vine. They're always going to be dependent on the true vine. And the vine dresser, the father, he's constantly tending that vine. And if one of those vines gets cancerous, if one of those branches gets cancerous and has a plight, a blight, guess what he's going to do? That vine dresser is going to cut that vine out and he's going to replace it with something else. The Apostle Paul talks about this, by the way, in Romans. He talks about Israel and he says that when Israel failed to obey, failed to fall in line with the Messiah, that they were cut out and the Gentiles, the nations, were be grafted in. And then Paul says, but you be careful because you can be cut out and another people grafted in too. You stay true to the commandments of the vine. You stay in the vine. Still the same vine, still the same vineyard, still the same vine tender, but growing. Because they've been cut off. Because Jesus has taken the years as the vine. He's he's fed them and he's nourished them and they're ready to produce fruit. And when the Father was ready, Jesus says, I do my Father's will. When the Father was ready, they were going to be cut off and they were going to be planted. And the church was going to grow. This is why whenever the church is described in the Bible, it's never described as this disparate, well, there's the church over there and the church over there and this church dresses that way and that church does this and that church does this. It's always described as the church, the body of Christ. Right, the the communion, the koinonia. When it's described like that, why? Because the church only exists when the vines abide in Christ. You say, "Well, I'm an independent vine. 
I got, you know, all kinds of funky tattoos and my hair spare sideways. I'm an independent vine. Independent vines die. You've got to be connected to the rootstock, the true vine. I am the vine. But then he says, as he talks about this process of growing, he makes this transition as he's talking about us abiding in him and he and us. He, he, when he gets down to, to verse 7, he says, you abide in me, my word abide in you. The sustenance of the vine is the words of Jesus. That, that which feeds, the, that makes the fruit, that's the word. It's, it's living after Jesus. And then he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so many people take this out of context and go, well, whatever I ask Jesus for, he's going to do it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about bearing fruit. He's talking about being faithful. He's talking about staying in the vine and abiding with him. And he says, whatever it takes for you to abide in me and bear fruit, I will make that happen. He does not say, whatever you want, I will make happen. I claim it in Jesus' name. Back up. Is it something Jesus would claim for himself? Because if he would not claim for himself, don't you dare claim it in his name. That is taking his name in vain. You watch the TV preachers. My dad called it the name, and, name it and claim it, the blab it and grab it. My dad does have a gift for a turn of phrase. Um, these people are like, well, you just, you just have to, you just have to, you just have to have, you just have to declare over that 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 is that is yours, that you're going to have it. These guys are like, plant a seed, give me a thousand dollars, and Jesus will give you a hundred thousand dollars. Is that what the Bible says? Are you sure about that? I seem to remember the apostle talking about the love of money being the root of all evil, but. What we claim has to be in alignment with the vine. And it has to be in alignment with the other branches. The other branches. Um, Without getting too far off, um, at one point uh, when I was a young pastor, I read a book and the book actually said, it is natural for smaller churches to die for bigger churches to succeed that that was what God wanted. He spun it to basically say, you are okay to steal sheep from other flocks as long as you're the bigger, better, happier church. I just punt that book out of my library. Threw it in the fire with the other branches that were not bearing fruit. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You bear the same fruit as Jesus bore. You say, well, the times are different. We can't have Christians like Jesus. We can't build disciples like Jesus built disciples. We could never be a John or an Andrew. I'm I'm pretty sure I could be okay being a, a, a Thomas or a... Uh, Judas, not Iscariot. How would you like to be defined by not that other guy? Right? I could be one of those guys. Or one of the nameless ones, like James the Lesser. The guy actually got ranked below another James. And we walk around, we go, got Sean the Greater, Sean the Lesser. 
Bob the greater, Bob the lesser. You know, Eric the taller, Eric the shorter. All right, we, we just have all these different... That's, I'd be content, right? I'm content to be one of those disciples. I don't need to be Peter. I don't need to be John. I don't need to be James. I'm content to be one of those lesser guys. But I want to be a disciple of Jesus and I want to, I want to see the fruit being other followers of Christ. If Jesus raised them up, we, the church, can raise them up. And, and, and as he continues, he says, um, in verse 9, he says, The Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And again, he says, abide in my love. What sustains the vine? What keeps the vine going? What keeps the branches sheltering and caring for one another? It's not just love. Love is love. It's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. That, that is the lifeblood of the vine of the church. People say, well, the lifeblood of the church is the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's great. What does Jesus say the Holy Spirit will teach us to do? To keep His commandments. And what is Jesus' commandment? That you love one another as I have loved you. He says, the Father loved me and I love you, so you love them like I love you. And guess what Jesus' love looked like sometimes? Sometimes it was a swift kick in the pants. It wasn't always happiness and joy and, hey man, we can all get along, it's not a big deal. Sometimes it was... Jesus lovingly told his disciples, you are wrong. Get in line or get out. Uh What? That's not very loving. Yes, it is. Which is more loving? I ask this question all the time. Which is more loving? To be honest about the truth or to say the truth doesn't matter as long as we stay together? Each branch of the vine is going to be unique. Each is going to have its own issues. Now, isn't that true about the church? Big C. Every branch has its own issues. Some of the branches are big and thick and robust and they grow high. Some of them are short and squat and make raisins. Different kinds of things occurring in the vineyard, in the vine. But as long as they're abiding in the love, I always found it fascinating, by the way, uh, about great vineyards that, believe it or not, in a, in a, in a vineyard, um, the upper layers of the grape plant will actually shelter the lower layers from inclement weather and not produce as much fruit so that the other parts of the vine can produce more. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's no different from any other tree. It's not like it's any different from, you know, other trees. You know, the top layer of the tree, its job is to provide shade so the rest of the tree can grow. But then I want to, I'm kind of skipping around a little bit. I just want to get this. He says, when he says, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. He says, you are going to be As much of the vine, even though you're branches and you're drawing strength from me, you're going to be a part of what God is doing. And you need to be aware of it. You need to be realistic about it. You need to understand there's going to be a lot to go to this. 
You need to be willing to go to the mat for the other branches. You did not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now let let me just project a little bit here. Why isn't this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? I think that John, looking down the barrel of his own mortality, now and looking at the second and third generation of Christians who are rising up and they're going to take the role, he says, look, I've poured my life into it, but my time as part of the branch, as a branch of the vine, is about to come to an end. He says, I'm going to die And someone's got to take my place. Someone's got to move in. I've worked hard to be a part of the vine. I've poured out love. I've poured out the commandments. I've taught you the word. I've given you what Jesus gave me. And now it's time for you to take it and run with it. It's time for you to be cut off and grafted in and made a new branch. And the church is going to keep going as long as we continue to bear fruit. He says, because that's what it means to love one another. This is my command so that you will love one another. It is not love. It is not love to treat sin as righteousness. It is not love in the name of tolerance to not Abide in Christ. It is not love to baby and pamper people. To say to the vine, it's okay. It's okay. Let me, let me, you know, God plants us somewhere and we want to come along and we want to go, oh, this is a terrible place. This is a bad place for this vine to be. Let's, let's take this vine. You can put this vine under, under you know, we'll, we'll move it over and we'll, we'll make sure there's no sun. We'll give this vine an umbrella. We don't want the vine to face any of the challenges or difficulty. Let's just make life as easy as possible for this vine. The vine has to be a part, the branch has to be a part of the vine. That means it has to be exposed to the sun, to the elements, to the darkness and the light. It has to endure pruning and it has to face difficulty. It has to deal with the deadwood being cut away. The vine in order to grow, it must be a part of the vine. It can't be sheltered from. It must be a part of. And Jesus is about to go to the crucifixion. He's about to go to the cross. And he's saying to his disciples, guys, I'm going here. You're a part of the vine. Guess what? You're going to face the same things that I'm going to face. And you're going to have to choose. We can't shelter from the reality of what it means to be a part of Jesus' vine. We can't hope that, you know, the next generation will never face challenges. We can't try to, to, well, we don't ever want to show, we, we don't want them to ever be in pain or trouble or difficulty. The only way you grow is pain and difficulty and trouble. The only way that you find out what you're really made of is to be tested. To be left exposed. 
to know what's coming. We get on Jesus' disciples so much because they run away when Jesus is crucified. I think maybe we need to applaud them that they came back. That Jesus had grown fruit, branches, that were going to stand the test of being identified with him. I think we pick on them so much. Like, And then they scattered. You would have too. But they came back. And they gave their lives to bear fruit in the next generation. They fought tooth and nail to love one another the way that Jesus loved them. And if I have to wrap this into one big idea and be finished, it is this. Abide in Christ. And abide with one another in the vine with those who are in Christ and bear fruit. You say, I don't know how to bear fruit. Guess what? Neither does a vine. It just does it. Love as Christ loved. Speak his word. Be true. Be a part of it. Be connected with the people of God, loving and serving as the vine of God. And the church, the true church, will draw its life from him. There is so much going on in the name of Christ that is disconnected from the vine. You cannot draw your strength from them. You must draw their strength from him and his word. And you must do it together. Jesus never says then you can be your own vine. He always says, you're going to be part of the vine. Love one another. You can do it together. And join me in a word of prayer. Jesus, you are the vine, and we are the branches. Here for a limited amount of time to bear fruit for you. And our purpose is not to find out how we can overload the fruit baskets. Our purpose is only to abide in you. Help us to love one another, to be that network of relationships that is the church, sheltering um, from the elements and then exposing to the elements for growth, drawing nutrients from you, sharing them with others, being together for the time that you've called us to be together. We thank you that your spirit does give life, that you give us